We're going to start this morning with a, uh, a bit of family business. Um, Pam and Neri Duarte are longtime international workers with Bayview Glen sent from this church many, many years ago, and uh, they've been working in Latin America for the Latin American mission for many years, uh, primarily in Costa Rica and Honduras. Um, this past week, Pam passed away after a, a year-long battle with cancer. Um, and so our hearts go out to this family, and I'm going to ask you to um, pray with me for them. Um, let's, let's join our hearts together. Father, you are a loving and kind and gracious God, and even as we as a church have been praying for um, healing over Pam, we know now that she has been fully and completely restored and healed and is, a, is rejoicing in your presence, God. Father, we thank you that, um, that there is freedom in your son, Jesus Christ, um, freedom from um, pain and disease and, and all of those things, Lord, when we see you face to face again. Lord, we pray for Neri, for, for Jonathan, for Andrea, um, who have lost a wife and, and a mom. God, um, would you just comfort them now in, in their time of need, in their time of loss, God, that, um, that you would be to them everything that they need. God, we, we love you and we ask that you um, be with us now as we look at your word, as we, we seek to continue to worship you, Lord. Um, let your word fall upon our ears in a way that um, this sings into our hearts, God. Holy Spirit, help us to know you in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy New Year. It's good to be here, 2018. Um, how many of you guys were around in uh, Y2K? Do you remember what that is? Yeah? All right. Remember when the, we thought the world was going to blow up in the year 2000, and now 18 years later, I have four children, which is crazy. And we're here together worshiping, 2018. How many of you have made uh, New Year's resolutions? Anybody? Lose weight? Exercise more? There was one year I, 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 uh, I resolved not to eat french fries for a year. I actually made it eight months. It was pretty awesome. How many of you have uh, committed to reading the Bible? Reading through the whole Bible this year. Anybody out there? Some of you, some of it's a regular habit for some of you. Yeah, Fran's waving her hand. I know Fran for you. Yeah, for sure. I've committed to reading the Bible this year, but I've also committed my children to read the Bible this year. And I've done that by leveraging technology. Now, if you don't have a Bible reading plan, I, I suggest that you would just, you know, just Google Bible reading plan 2018. There's a number of them that will come up. Uh, I'm not going to endorse anyone in particular. The one uh, that I'm using is, is um, in chronological order. It doesn't go from cover to cover. Uh, it kind of puts it into uh, a context of when those books were written and how they fit together historically, um, which, is, which is fun. Um, but I've been leveraging technology to get my kids to, to read the Bible. The way that I've done that is we, we already limit their screen time, all right? My, my girls especially, 12 and 14, um, they have phones. And so now in 2018, I said, aha, I'm holding your phones hostage unless you read the Bible, which is great. You can do things like that as a parent, right? But more than that. I've actually started a WhatsApp group with my girls and my wife, and so on there, we actually now begin to interact with the readings. And so they know that in order to have their phone, they need to have read it, and when they've read it, they give me a thumbs up on WhatsApp, and I know that they've done the reading. I'll ask them some questions. What do you think about this? Right? They'll ask questions to me about what does this mean? And so we're now interacting over WhatsApp around the Word of God, which is really tremendous. And so parents, I would say, hey, that's a freebie. Go and take that. You don't have to pay me for that idea. Um, if you want to get your kids reading the Bible. 
But all Bible reading plans seem to start in Genesis, right? No matter what, how they lay it out, you start in Genesis. And the words in Genesis are very familiar to all of us, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. In the beginning, there was nothing. And God spoke creation into existence. His words brought forth the heavens and the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, grass of the field, trees, birds, fish, animals, humans. His very words bringing things into existence. His utterances materialize. The book of John starts in exactly the same way, with the same words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, in the beginning, with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. God speaks salvation into being. But this time, his word doesn't simply materialize into things. It materializes into the person of Jesus Christ. His word has taken human form and entered into history. And so Jesus, who is the living word of God, has come into the world. He has moved into the neighborhood. And Jesus himself, who is God, also speaks and things happen. Jesus says, forgiveness and forgiveness comes. He utters judgment, and there is judgment. He speaks healing and illumination. He speaks mercy and grace. He speaks joy and love. He speaks freedom and resurrection. Jesus speaks. He who himself is the living word, and things happen. That is the beginning of the book of John, and it is to John that we return after about a six-month hiatus, anybody remember the last time we preached from the book of John? What month it was? It was July. It was July. Okay, so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to clear the cobwebs from your brains. I'm going to, you know, let's do a bit of review. Let's return to uh, our series called Believe, A Journey Through the Gospel of John. And we find this, the purpose statement for this book in John chapter 20, verse 31. He says, but these signs, we'll talk about that in a sec, these signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is what John wants for the readers of his gospel. This is what we want as we preach through this gospel, is for you to believe. For you to place your active trust in the person of Jesus Christ, to know that he is who he says he is, that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, the awaited one of Israel, that he is the Son of God, and that by doing so, that you would have life and life in all its fullness. That is John's hope as he writes this gospel. That is our hope as we work through this material together as a family of faith. Now, this book is a book of signs, it's a book of witnesses, and it's a book of statements. 
Let's start with signs, okay? We're going to do a bit of a test. Again, we're going to shake the cobwebs out of our brains right now. There are some signs we've preached through, okay? These signs are like wonders, miracles, all right? What are some of the signs that we've encountered so far in the book of John? Anybody remember? What's the first sign that Jesus performed? He changed water into awesome. See, you guys know this stuff, right? He changed water into wine. And then what did he do after that? He healed the official son. After that, he healed the cripple, the invalid. And then he raised Lazarus from the dead. We haven't gotten there yet, but that's close. That's one of them. Fed the 5,000, right? And after he did that, where did he go? He went into the Sea of Galilee, and then he walked on water. Great. He healed somebody else. So there are seven signs. There are seven signs. There are seven witnesses, and there are seven statements, okay? Seven witnesses. I'm not going to test you on this. So John the Baptist, of course, came like, like one calling out in the desert, right, brought witness, testimony for who Jesus, Jesus is. In chapter 8, we see that Jesus, um, if, you, if you go back to it, um, the Jews are asking him, who, who are you? Who is testifying for you? He says, the Father testifies to me, right? That's another witness. And he says, I testify to myself. So the Father, Jesus himself, John the Baptist, his disciples are witnesses to him, Scripture the works of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, these are the seven witnesses to, to Jesus in the book of John. There's so much in this book, guys. Like, you really got to love this. This is one, one of my favorite gospels, right? One of my favorite out of all four of them, although all four are pretty good. So seven witnesses. And then we have seven statements, seven I am statements. We've encountered two so far. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And then he says, I am the light of the world. He also goes on to say, I am the door of the sheep, I am the true vine, I am the good shepherd, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the resurrection and the life. Seven statements that tell us, signs, witnesses, and statements that tell us that he is who he says he is, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. So the book of John is evangelistic in nature. It wants us to put our active trust in Jesus Christ. But not only that, it wants us to go deeper. There's this depth in the teaching that we encounter in the book of John that wants us to grow uh, in, into a rich and well-informed faith. If you saw that bumper earlier on, that little video that comes on before we preach, um, you know, you see that, that, that plant is growing, leaves are coming out, flowers. The next one that you're going to see, it's going to have like fruit. This is our hope that not only do, do, do we all come to know salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, but that we begin to grow in faith and know him more deeply. Um, I was going to put together a video. You know, have you ever seen, you know, when you watch a TV show and you go to the next episode and it says like previously on, right, and then they put a little vignette together? Unfortunately, we couldn't do that today. So we're going to actually jump right back into chapter 8, uh, right at the beginning of chapter 8, where Jesus talks about being the light of the world. Um, Pastor Lucas talked about that and he reminded us that when Jesus says that he is the light of the world, he has come to bring joy and community and generosity into the world and in a very real way and not only that in Matthew 5 he exhorts us and he says not only is he says you are the light of the world and when he says that it means that we too must take on that posture to bring joy and community and generosity into the world and verse 30 in chapter 8 says that many believed in him many believed in him so we're going to jump back in right there in verse, in verse 31. But before that, I want to talk about today's theme. So the theme of the passage today is freedom. 
The passage is freedom. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I think about the, the, the idea of freedom, especially the word freedom, what I hear in my head is Mel Gibson from Braveheart, William Wallace, shouting, freedom! Nobody's with me on that? <laughs> Come on. He's like on the rack. They're about to tear him apart. He's supposed to bend the knee, and they're torturing him. And he like, he's on his deathbed. He's dying. They're going to tear him apart, you know. And he, he, he's whispering something, and, and, and the guy who's, you know, presiding over it doesn't know what he's saying, so he leans in close. And what does Mel Gibson say? Say it with me. Freedom! Freedom, right? Man, I, I remember there was, um, I, I, I watched this one night, and I remember the moment really clearly. I was sitting on, um, I was sitting on a couch. It had come on TV. It wasn't like, I didn't put it in or anything. It was just on. And when it got to the scene, I just wept uncontrollably, like convulsing, wept at this, at this thought of this man fighting for freedom in this way. I mean, we see it all over the place, right? I mean, like we're, um, in movies especially, right? You're freedom from aliens. Everybody wants freedom from aliens, right? I mean, okay, maybe you don't watch movies the way I do. Freedom from aliens is a real thing, all right? Um, DC villains, all right? Freedom from one-dimensional DC villains. Are you with me on this one? Some of you are, <laughs> all right? We want that. But freedom and slavery is really at the heart of human experience. Freedom and slavery is at the heart of human experience. Just hear me out. This is, listen to this, okay? Um, you, you think that slavery was abolished, right? Human slavery is alive and well today, right? Sex trafficking, you have a menial labor. I mean, I come from, I, uh, my wife and I and our family, we lived in a country where um, you would, you know, you'd have this group of people who would come to this country um, to, to, to carve a better future for themselves, to, to make enough money to send home to their families. They enter in the country, um, they get sent off to work, carted off, their passports are confiscated from them, all right? They're shuttered into um, these, these places where they're not free to come and go. That's not, that's slavery. That's modern-day slavery. It's alive and well. You know, there's enslavement to sexual assault. Uh, maybe some of you feel enslaved to, to disease, to cancer maybe even. But a lot of, a lot of our experience of, of freedom and slavery is existential, right? I mean, how many of you feel like you're enslaved to the job that you're in? How many of you want to be freed from that? How many of you want to be freed from your, your mortgage payments or your student loans, right? There's, there's a sense of slavery there. Maybe it's uh, some of the relationships that you're in. You feel like you can't break free, you can't get away. There's, uh, you know, there's, there's a sense of slavery and, and, and lack of freedom. Maybe it's an addiction that you have. You can't, you can't shake it off, whatever that, whatever that addiction may be. The myriad of things that we can be addicted to in this life. Maybe it's anxiety. Anxiety is reaching epidemic proportions in our society today. It's enslaving minds, mental illness. It's out there. Maybe it's in here. Freedom and slavery are at the heart of human existence, the human experience. And this experience of, of slavery and freedom is really universal. And so we, it's important that we take a look at what the Bible has to say about it, what Jesus has to say about it. And so we turn to verse 31, chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, um, please feel free to open that up to John chapter 8, verse 31. We're going to go through that to, to, to 47. Um, there's a Bible in the seat back in front of you. There's free Wi-Fi in the building, so if you want to connect, uh, maybe 
uh, jump on the uh, Bible app that you might have on your device, feel free to do that as well. Um, but that's where we're going to be, John chapter 8, verse 31 to 47. We'll start with 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. This abide in, in my word, we've come across this word abide before, right? Abide means simply to rest and to remain. Um, there's this sense that, um, I really love this word. Um, it's a word we just don't use enough. Um, abiding is, is like soaking, right? You ever, you ever take a really hot bath and you're just, you're soaking in there for like an hour, an hour and a half? five hours, I don't know, whatever it is, right? And you come out, and you're, like, steaming. The heat, like, stays on you for, like, hours and hours, right? That feeling, that being soaked, right? That's abiding, being soaked in the Word. There's marinating, all right? Any Korean, my, Korean friends out there? Yeah? You guys, do you marinate your meat in pop, Sprite, Coke? This is what my Korean friends tell me, all right? There's this thing about the carbonation that really gets, like, you know, marinates the meat well. And so, like, abiding is, is like marinating, soaking in those things, or steeping tea, right? You know, Tim Horns, you know, you got the steeped tea, right? And all the goodness of the tea, the flavor comes out. That's abiding. And Jesus says, abide. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the truth will set you free. Truth is knowable through the words of Jesus Christ. And it is this truth that opens the door to the freedom that he offers. The words of God and the words of Jesus are a witness to who he is, that he is who he says he is. The Son of God, Christ, the Messiah. Let's keep moving. Verse 33. And the Jews, they answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham, and you have never been enslaved and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? I know that you are, okay, so can we go back to the last line? How is that say that you will become free? So you have this group of Jews who believe, and they're like, Jesus, you're talking about freedom. We have no, we don't have a framework for what you're talking about because we're the seed of Abraham, all right? We'll come back to what that means to them a little later on. We're going to actually jump a few verses down to 37. So we go to 37. This is Jesus' answer to them, to the Jews. He says, I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word, there it is again, right? Word, his word is important. Because my word finds no place in you. 38, I speak of what I have seen with my father. And you do what you have heard from your father. He's making the distinction very clear, right? My father, your father. We're going to see where this ends up a little later. It's going to be fun. 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. And so the question here for us is, what did Abraham do, right? Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. And what Abraham is known for is for his faithfulness and for his righteousness. He did righteous deeds. One in particular was when God showed up and visited Abraham. He did that in the form of three uh, men, okay? Abraham was sitting under a tree. These three men show up. 
Abraham knows that it is the Lord visiting. And so immediately he goes to them and he says, let me prepare a place for you. Let me get water to wash your feet. Let me make some bread so you can eat and be comfortable. He takes care of them. Jesus says, I am a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. He is a messenger from God. And how do the Jews treat him? They seek to kill him. This is not what Abraham did. That is what Jesus is saying. You are doing the works your father did. Oh, mystery. Who's, who's the father he's talking about? Next. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. Okay. <laughs> That's like low blow, right? Remember verse 19? You may not. Verse 19, they said, who is your father? Right? They asked him. Jesus said, you know, I come from my father and said, who is your father? Because they know. These people know about, you know, Mary betrothed to Joseph, gave birth to Jesus, you know, all of that stuff. And so this is, this is pretty much as straightforward as you can get in terms of a dig at Jesus, right? We are not born of sexual immorality like you were, is basically what they're saying. We have one father, even God. So the gloves are off at this point, right? Jesus says to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, right? He's anticipating the way Jesus is anticipating the way he's going to go. Um, he was a murderer from the beginning and does, not, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Jesus isn't mincing words with these guys, right? He's just laying it bare. He's saying, you do not have, you may be the genetic offspring of Abraham, but you are not the spiritual offspring of Abraham. You do not do the things that Abraham would do. You do not do, you are not righteous, you are not faithful. You do not serve God the way that Abraham did. And so if you're not serving God, who are you serving? You're serving the other guy. This is what Jesus is saying to them. So let's go back to verse 33, all right? And let's look at this, let's look at what Jesus says about freedom. So Jesus answered him, if we, um, if we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone, how is it that you say you will become free? This is the Jews speaking to uh, Jesus. Jesus answered them. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus answers their question about what it means to be free. You see, these Jews are, are coming to him, and, 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 and this is what they think. They think... Out of all of the nations, God chose us. 
Israel. We are, we are the apple of his eye. We are special. We are entitled. What do you mean we're not free? We're the seed of Abraham. We've never been enslaved. Not true, right? Because they were enslaved by the Egyptians. But these guys are, you know, dealing with fake news. I don't know what it is. Anyway. So here are these guys. And they think that because they are descended from Abraham, that they have right standing before God. And Jesus says, you're wrong. Partly because... These Jews are confused about what Jesus actually means by freedom. They're confused about what Jesus means by freedom. Uh, yesterday, I was having breakfast with, uh, with my girls and uh, my, my four children, and they were sitting around the table together, and the eldest, who's 14, Karis, uh, says to her brothers, two more days of freedom only. And I'm like, what do you mean two more days of freedom only? She's like, yeah, we're going back to school. I was like, you're homeschooled. What are you talking about two more days of freedom? <laughs> what she means is that there's only two more days without the constraints of formal education. We do. We homeschool, okay? They, they actually do work during the day, despite what people might think. So she wants to be freed from the shackles of formal education. She wants to be free to do whatever she wants, whenever she wants, right? That's, that's what she was free to do during this, you know, season of, of Christmas, holiday time. But is that, is that freedom? Is that what freedom is? Exemption from external control? Is it exemption from external interference or internal, uh, external regulation? Is that all freedom is? Remember Elsa from, uh, from Frozen? When she sings very famously, she says, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. Why don't you guys sing with me? Come on. <laughs> let it go. Let, no, I'm just kidding. All right. Is that, is that freedom? To be able to do whatever you want, whenever you want, without the shackles and restraints of people putting, um, putting rules in your way? Or maybe freedom is simply the power to determine action without restraint, right? When I was a kid, I would come home. My sister and I would come home from school, right? 3.30, the bells ring. You walk home. By the time you get home, you get a snack. 4 o'clock rolls around. G.I. Joe on the one channel that shows cartoons, right? G.I. Joe was on at 4. 4.30 is Transformers. I don't remember the rest until my parents get home. But it's not like at 4 o'clock, my sister and I could be jostling and say, I want to watch Transformers. No, I want to watch G.I. Joe. No, I want to watch Rainbow Bright. That's not going to happen because there's only one show on TV. There is no choice. There is a restraint. Fast forward to today, my kids are sitting in front of the TV and it's like, Netflix, what do you want to watch? No, I want to watch this, I want to watch that. And they're fighting. I'm like, guys, this is not freedom. This is enslavement. Look at you. Look at the way you're fighting with each other. See, this popular notion of freedom is, in fact, enslavement, to do whatever you want, whenever you want, and even more than that, to be whoever you want to be, to behave however you want to behave. That's not freedom. That leads to an enslavement. That leads to, um, that leads to sin. Right? You look at verse 34 in, in our um, John 8, 34. Jesus says to them, truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. If we can do anything we want, I guarantee you, you're going to be sinning in some way. And when you sin, you're a, you're a slave to sin. Look at Psalm 19.13. It says this, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. 
dominion, rule. When something has dominion over you, when something is ruling you, you're not free, friends. You're enslaved. So the Bible speaks about freedom, but in a very different way than that. In a very different way than that. I live with three beautiful women. My wife, my two, uh, my two daughters, who are 14 and 12. Um, my, my wife has beautiful, luxurious, thick Chinese hair. It's like amazing. I'm, maybe I'm a little envious, I don't, I don't know. But it's, it's amazing, all right? Like, like King, I think Solomon would say, um, it, her hair is like a flock of goats that leaps along the slopes of Gilead. That's what Solomon would say. And that's, I would agree. Her hair is definitely like a flock of goats. And my daughters have inherited that hair. It's, it's just as thick and luxurious, especially when they brush it. It's really nice. But when they brush it, what happens? It sheds. And it gets all over the place. It gets on the carpet. And who has to come along and vacuum it up? Yours truly. So I bring out the vacuum and I vacuum it up. And invariably, of course, the hairs, as long as they are, become entangled in the motorized bristle. Some of you know what I'm talking about. So it gets entangled, the motorized bristle, and then sooner or later, the bristle stops to move. And it stops cleaning. It stops being able to do what a vacuum is supposed to do. And so I come along, I have to take this thing apart. I have to, like, you know, cut the hair out and put it away and all that. And so finally, I finished um, freeing this vacuum from the junk and the debris, and, I, and it's ready to go. And I, and I declare, I have freed the vacuum. And my 12-year-old and my comes along, my 12-year-old who's like the smarty pants, cheeky little monkey in the family, and she'll be like, free, Dad, you say? Really? Is it truly free? Is it free to make slime? And I would say, no. Nobody else here knows that reference about slime. My kids just like, it's slime all day, every day. Nobody else knows this? All right, maybe it's just my house. Homeschooled kids, crazy homeschooled kids. So she says to me, is it free to make slime? I'm like, of course it's not free to make slime. That's not what a vacuum is supposed to do. A vacuum is supposed to clean. It has now been free. It's been freed to clean. I have freed the debris from it so that it can do what it is intended to do. When the hair is removed from the bristles, the vacuum is freed from something for something. And so in faith, it is the same for us. Jesus comes and he frees us from something for something. And so there are hairballs in our life, right? There is debris, there is junk. There are things that need to be removed. What are those things? The primary thing, of course, is freedom from sin. Jesus frees us from sin. You see, at its core, sin is you trying to be God. Is you saying that, I know better for myself what is good. And so even though God is supposed to take a central part in your life, you're, you're, you're kicking him to the curb. You're saying, God, out. I'm going to make decisions here. When I do this thing that I shouldn't do, it's because I believe that it's better for me and I know better than you. That at, at its core is what sin is. And that is really unbelief. Unbelief that you can trust in God, that he has your good in mind, that he knows better than anybody because he created you, he crafted you, he breathed life into you. So when Jesus frees us, 
He frees us from unbelief. Saying yes to Jesus is saying yes to his lordship. His lordship means I trust you, Jesus, to be everything that I need. Trusting him to redeem and to to reconcile and to renew things in your life and things all around us. So there's a freedom from sin that Jesus brings. There's a freedom from the penalty of sin. Romans 6 tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It is a gift. Eternal life there for the taking. We never need to gain God's approval. We only need to accept the gift that he has, that we no longer need to die eternal death because of Christ and the freedom that he affords us. Now, that doesn't give us license to sin, right? I mean, just because we are freed from the penalty of sin doesn't mean that we can go on sinning wherever we want, thinking, yay, I'm, gonna, I'm making it to heaven. That's not the point. What Jesus' freedom does not free us from is from the consequences of sin. There, so you notice that sin has a capital S here, right? So this is the sin that affects us all. This is the sin from the fall. There are sins, little s sins, that is, are, are the sins that we, um, we perpetrate, right? The sins that we, we engage in, that we do. Uh, and we're never going to escape that fully in this life. It's just by nature of the fall, right? And so in those sins, there are consequences that we experience in this life, whether it be consequences for yourself, whether it be consequences for your loved ones or the people around you. There are consequences to those sins. So we don't escape those. We're not freed of those. Um, but I do want to say this, and I want to be careful when I say this, okay? Um, we, Jesus frees us to make mistakes. I think the older I get, there's just this, this fuller understanding of the grace that Jesus affords us, that how costly it was that he died, how costly it was that he became flesh for us. Um, and that he was obedient to death unto the cross and the grace that comes with it. Now, I'm not saying that you can go and, and sin all you want willy-nilly. That's not what I'm saying. But I think we all make genuine mistakes. And after we make mistakes, if we can genuinely come back and say, God, um, I'm sorry, my desire is to go your way and not my own way, will you, will you accept me? Um, God accepts us. But when I say that, that in Christ we have the freedom to make mistakes. This is what I mean. I think there's a freedom from shame that tells us that we're not worthy to be accepted. I think Christ frees us from that. I think Christ frees us from a guilt that says we failed too much to be loved. And there's a, there's, there's a freedom from fear that our mess gives God the reason to reject us. That's what I mean by there's a freedom for us to make mistakes. I'm not saying go and make all the mistakes you want. I'm just saying, don't get hung up on it because Jesus freed you to be free. And God wants to draw you near to himself. And in that, we find that Jesus frees us then to truly be ourselves. Jesus frees us to be truly ourselves. When we encounter Jesus, uh, when we accept what it is that he gives, and in that relationship, 
as we come to him as a son and daughter of God, um, we are changed necessarily by that encounter. We have to be changed because unless we are changed, we cannot know him, right? It's one thing to know things about somebody, right? We can know scientifically. You can, I can enumerate like a hundred things about my wife that you could know just by observing her. It doesn't mean that you know her. But I know her because I have been changed by that knowing. I have become truly who I am more and more each day in the sanctifying work that marriage has brought into my life. I am, not, I am more fully myself today than I was before that encounter with her. So many people go into marriages, relationships, marriages um, in particular, thinking that they need to hold on to, to themselves, that they're so afraid of losing themselves. And they, they want, they, they, they hoard it. But when God says that two become one, there's this mystery. There's a sense that you lose yourself only to find yourself more truly and more fully. And that's what it is. That's the mystery of coming into faith and into relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is that you lose yourself in a sense, yes, but you find yourself more truly as God intended you to be. Just like when a vacuum, a vacuum cleaner is, is, is cleared of the junk, it's freed to do its job to clean. Freedom in Christ is freedom to act in accord with your true nature. It's freedom to act in accord with your true nature. And what is our nature? Our nature is simply to be children of God, to be a son, to be a daughter of the living God. So what does it mean to be a child of God? Friends, this is the very reason that Christ became man. This is the reason that the word became flesh, is to free you from the bondage of sin so that you could once again cry out, Abba, Daddy, to call upon the name of the Lord and say, Father, I belong to you. Jesus left the bosom of the Father so he could clear a path for you to the bosom of the Father, that you could be called his child, that you could be called his son, and his daughter. And we can, you can only be truly yourself in the freedom that Christ affords. It was a costly freedom. It was bought with the blood of Jesus. Jesus, who came near to us all, who took on flesh, moved into the neighborhood. And he did it to know our weakness. He did it to know our pain, to know our suffering. And he did not shy away from it even when it led him to the cross, even when it led him to death. And so our entire selves, as followers of Christ, are defined by this reality, that we belong to him. And so we live for him. We are only truly ourselves. We can only understand ourselves truly in the light of Christ. So listen again to these words of Christ. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I'm going to wrap everything. I, I know I've said a lot, right? I'm, there's, there's a lot there. But I'm going to try to wrap that up in a, in a pretty little bow, everything that you've heard today. God called you into relationship. He called you into a relationship with him by incarnating himself, by putting flesh on himself. The word has become flesh. 
And that same Jesus, by becoming flesh, moved into the neighborhood. And he gave himself. He gave himself sacrificially. He gave himself wholly. He gave himself completely and totally so that you could belong to God, so that you could be his child. And being, like, being God's child is simply being like Jesus, to be conformed to the image of our Lord. To be God's child is to be like Jesus. And what was Jesus like? Jesus was the light of the world, this light of the world that brought joy and brought community and brought generosity into the world. And so he's, ta he's tasked us to be the light of the world, that we too are to become God in the flesh to those around us, in the neighborhoods that we already live in. That is what it's all for. So when people see the freedom that you have in Christ, when people see the joy that you display because of the spirit living in you, that they would want to put their active faith in him and to know that same salvation. Friends, my prayer for you, for myself, is that 2018 will be the year that we step out in faith, that we step more fully into our identity as children of God and to live more fully from the freedom that God has for us there. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we, um, man, if, uh, if we could have just kept on singing and kept on worshiping, God, I, would, I, I personally just would have loved that. I feel your presence here, God. I pray that you would continue to speak to us as we continue in worship, Lord, that you would minister to us, Holy Spirit, in this time and in this place. And that we would come to know you more fully, even as we are fully known. And that you would remind us, each and every one, of the freedom that we have in your son, Jesus Christ. The freedom to be exactly who you intended us to be. Agents of reconciliation. Agents of your good news, the gospel, into the world. Lord, look upon us with favor. Look upon us with mercy as we seek to live our days for you and make much of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Would you please stand with us as we continue to worship God together? <laughs>